Just a little heads up to let you know that this episode contains some swearing. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Gary. And welcome to episode 30 of Choose Film, a real retrospective podcast, where we will be taking a deep dive into a random film chosen by our guest host. Each season we will pick a particular theme, and this season it's cinematic classics. Today we are joined by Jamie McKinley, who has decided that on this episode we will be taking a look at What's Up Doc. So Jamie, thanks so much for joining us. Hi guys, it's it's lovely to be here. It's nice, it's always great to be on the other side of a podcast, I enjoy it. (laughs) And just for our listeners at home, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, Yeah, so I am Jamie obviously and uh, yeah, so I am a screenwriter. Um, I just did my master's in that like last year, so I'm sort of working on some projects as a writer uh, but my main thing at the moment, which a lot of people might know me for, is uh, Just Get A Real Job podcast, wh- where I basically have been speaking to lots of emerging creatives from across the creative industries, including Rebecca has been on the podcast before. <laughs> so, yeah, that's been Episode sort of my, main, 10. my main thing. <laughs> uh, and obviously, I'm trying to break into film and TV as well, which is very uh, difficult, but I'm very much enjoying it. It's, I love to be a creative, so it's good fun. Great. And why did you pick this film? Uh, well, I watched this film, like, I think for the first time four years ago, and I love it. And I, th- I think it's so, un- I wouldn't say underrated because it is very well regarded. It's just, I think it's been under, it's like an underrated gem, if that makes sense. Like, I don't think enough of our generation have seen this film because it's not available on streaming services. Like, it's not talked about a lot, but when people do talk about it, they speak about it very positively. So I just thought it'd be a really good, and it is a classic as well. So I just really wanted to have the give this film you know some limelight and hopefully the mm-hmm. listeners will get the chance to go and watch it and and enjoy it as much as I do yeah I mean this was the first time I've ever watched it and I enjoyed it what, what did you think Gary yeah um as Jamie said there like I was one of the people who hadn't even heard of it so I had to go and do a bit of research one of what I was about to watch two where I could find it and um <laughs> and then when I put it on I wasn't sure what to expect, and then I, I did. I loved it. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's Fabulous. very good. Very good fun. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And Jamie, what would you rate the film out of ten? See, I was thinking about this today because I do a thing where I rate, I watch a film, as, and I take a list every year of the films I watch, and I always rate them out of ten. And when I do that, I'm really sure of it. But when it's a film I've seen it like a while ago, I'm like, I don't know what to rate. So I probably. I'd say I'd give it a ten because I was thinking like I don't know what I don't like about this film and like you rate films in different ways like you know you don't compare you know you rate there's a different structure of rating films so yeah I'd, I'd give it a ten because I can't think of any flaws to be honest. <laughs> cool. And Gary, what would you rate the film? I would give it a bit of a lower score. I'm going to go seven and a half out of ten um, because there is mm. things in it that. I'd don't like but I'll get to them in my nitpicks later um, but it's still a very enjoyable film like like 28 minutes in I was kind of lost about what the conference dinner was about and who had what bag but it didn't matter because like I was just enjoying the ride like the, the experience mm-hmm. of it definitely um I gave it an 8.7 which is very which is specific right. points okay. there Rebecca 
<laughs> I know I've learned from this podcast that the decimal does count. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I really enjoyed it as well. Um I guess just a couple of little things, but um no, I really enjoyed it and that whole like farcical kind of comedy was just a bit of a ride, like you said, Gary, a bit of a roller coaster. It was a good laugh. Here is a little synopsis. Two researchers have come to San Francisco to compete for a research grant in music. One seems a bit distracted, and that was before he meets her. A strange woman seems to have devoted her life to confusing and embarrassing him. At the same time, a woman has her jewels stolen, and a government whistleblower arrives with his stolen top-secret papers. All, of course, have the same style and colour overnight bag. So, let's get started. This is San Francisco, the city chosen by one of the most brilliant and sensitive new generation of filmmakers, Peter Bogdanovich, for his maiden comedy effort, What's Up, Doc? Starring Barbara Streisand and Ryan O'Neill. Where are we? I can't see! Well, there's not much to see, actually. We're inside a Chinese dragon. As you'll all know, we will now go around and share our three positive points on the film. Um, Gary, would you like to go first? So I just want to, obviously, we need to talk about the comedy because it is a comedy, but I actually think it's a masterclass in how to incorporate different types of comedy into your film. It's got this Faulty Towers, Mr Bean type of visual comedy that's not quite over the top and it's almost just believable that it could happen. So like, just some examples of that is like the guy that's got the government files and he's getting tailed by this exhausted man with the golf clubs and he's, he's already struggling to keep up and then he comes round the corner and just sees this huge flight of San Francisco stairs. <laughs> the expression on his face is great and other things like the scene where Howard Bannister's jacket is ripped when Judy grabs it and then he's trying to like walk up the escalator when it's on reverse while having this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favourite scenes has to be when they all go under the banquet table and they're having yeah. a discussion under it and it cuts to the manager and the manager says to the waiter, what kind of wine are you serving them? <laughs> and it's just like, just perfect wee parts of comedy. It's like using like visual comedy with a punchline of dialogue rather than just being like dialogue, dialogue, dialogue. And other wee traits like when they're, I think it's the top floor of the hotel, and they're making out at the piano and the painter comes in and he's just gobsmacked and as he opens his mouth, his cigar falls in his paint. It's like <laughs> wee things like that. And the last one I can think of is obviously the whole room's in flames um, when just everything that's going wrong in this hotel room can. But I, it's not really focused on, but the waiter's just at the edge of screen and he's still prepping the dinner as if nothing's happening. And it's not like enforced on you, but he's just at the edge of frame, like still prepping. Like He's like, I'm not getting sacked for this. Some of the humour that's in this and some of the comedy I've then seen in more recent comedies, I'm not saying it, they got it solely from this, but you can see how comedy has evolved. Um, so there was this scene with the the glass and they're trying to get across the road with the, the pane of glass mm-hmm. and the cars are coming down the hill and like dodging them all and then right at the end the glass gets smashed and Rush Hour uses a very similar scene where they're fighting in the museum around all the these antique vases 
and Jackie Chan is trying to keep this vase from getting knocked over while beating the bad guys and he finally does it and he secures it back on its stand and walks away and it gets shot and it's just been a complete waste of time and it's like using the same beats of comedy and the scene in the the courtroom where he says oh me and Hugh don't go on and he says me and you he's like no me and Hugh and who's Hugh <laughs> and that was used in Russia as well and I think it was like Detective You. So you can see how other comedies borrow from each other as time goes on. I've got a similar kind of point to that as well. That so it's like very, um, very clever and quirky and just really quite daft, like with the visuals and the dialogue. Like even some of the character interactions of like that bit when Howard is like chapping on the door of his fiance and he's like, "It's me," and she's like, "Who's there?" And he's like, "It's Howard ba- Bannister, your fiance." And she's like, "Oh yeah, of course, come in." <laughs> <laughs> That bit with the golf clubs as well. Um, one of the, one of the moments I really liked about it as well was he was like taking a club out to like make it lighter, like each time, which mm-hmm. I thought was just really clever and like funny. And of course, you would do that. Um, it's like lots of running jokes through it as well. Like it's not yeah. like a joke's just for one scene. Yeah, it, it'll carry on throughout it as well. They all and, have a payoff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah. I really love the the fast paced dialogue comedy. It's very like. Adam Sorkin, but in comedy. Yeah. It's so sharp. One of my points was actually going to be the humour as well. So <laughs> I feel like I it's, it's a good... All of points, yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. But it's, it's like such a big, you know, aspect of this film. And it, it's great because it's, it's never... It never has to... Be, the humour never needs to go become too vulgar. That's what I love about this film. It, it You know, it never needs to do, do that, like, really over-the-top thing because it, it just manages to be consistently funny throughout in, mm-hmm. like, a number of ways. It's obviously borrowing from the you know, Hollywood, the old Hollywood screwball type stuff of like, you know, which is another point I'll come on to. Um, mm-hmm. And it does that so well. But like, you know, I think Gary said a lot of the great points, but like one of my favorite scenes of, in terms of humor is with the judge at the end. And, it's, you know, he smashes all the tablets up and he gets more and more frustrated. Yeah. And, he, and he's just like, have it, like, he's just not enjoying it. He's like, you know, he's, he comes in and he like, he makes a point and then it's the people in the actual room that are just watching the case and the, the guy's like, that's not the... That's not who's on trial. And then they all come in and it's, oh, yeah. it's ridiculous. But it's so <laughs> funny. Yeah, does he not say something? He's like, look at these like cretins, these ugly, yeah. like filthy people. And it's like, yeah, that's just the audience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah they do that quite a lot, don't they? Like, is there not a bit where Howard goes to the camera, like, help? Like, you know, they're, they're breaking that yeah. wall and going directly to the audience, which is something that happens a few times. And each time it happens, it catches... Me like off guard. I think it catches you off guard because it, it's done like maybe two or three times in the film, mm-hmm. but so it's almost not enough to be part of like as part of the style, you mm-hmm. know, like the way I don't know something like rap scene is, but we'll always look at the camera like every few scenes. Like, I felt like this was a bit jarring. I suppose, I mean, what's up, Doc? So we've we've got a little nod here to like Looney Tunes mm, and. A lot of the cartoon, you know, characters do that, don't they? They turn to the to us and are like yeah. making a, <laughs> a gesture or saying something. There's a lot of like facial expression humor in this film as well, like yeah. you know, with the eyes and stuff. But I think this film is very self aware, so I think that's probably part of the reason they they go for that sort of style. Like, for example, um, the character of um. Uh, Hugh Simon's character, you know, the really like sort of not evil character, but he's like the scientist who like he gets the grant at the end and he wants to like. Yeah. And he, I, I think he's meant to be German. I'm not sure if they ever specify like where he's from, 
Well, um, I actually heard that they had decided uh, it's based on one of the writers or the director's accent. He just went, I'm copying that or something. Right. Yeah, well, he, <laughs> yeah, well, basically, he was based on a critic at the time called John Simon. So his name was Hugh Simon and, they, and the critic was called John Simon. And he used to give really horrible reviews to people like Barbara Streisand and the director... Um, who I can like Peter Vanovich. I always say second name wrong, and I was scared oh. about coming on this podcast and saying second name. <laughs> we'll Peter. call him Peter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but like, you know, he was giving all these jarring reviews. So they just, this was like a little fuck you to him almost. Like they just mm. like had this horrible character called Hugh Simon instead of John Simon, who like gets his come up, come up at the end almost as well. So like, it is very self aware. And my favorite thing, one of my like, the funniest things in the film is, and I love this, in the last scene, the last line, is so self aware because the like Hugh's line is basically the actor um, Ryan O'Neill in one of his the, the film he'd been in before this. Oh, and I've totally Yay. forgotten the name of the film. That is the line he says at the end. Like um, I'm, you know, I'm like love means having to say you're sorry. It doesn't mean you don't have to say you're sorry. And then he yeah. goes like, "That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard." And they just take the absolute mech out of like that. Such a terrible yeah. line. Is it, from, is it from not a film. love story or something like that? Yeah, that's the yeah. film. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's the film. Yeah. I do like the the Hugh Simon character um, when he's like always like wafting his hair as if it's in his yeah. eyes, but it never actually is in his eyes. It's, it's really weird. It's very extra. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. he is like the competitor, isn't he? And he keeps like moving Howard about. Like we're in when they're in that the dinner, the big dinner scene. He's constantly trying to manoeuvre and going, oh, like trying to talk to like the the man with the, the money, the grant, um, yeah, the power. Fred- Fredericks, yeah, yeah. It's it's that's a great uh, showcase of cinematography as well. That yeah. scene where um, he keeps like it's almost like a dance they're doing. They're, obviously, yeah. he's pulling him and like as you said, manoeuvring him about, but it looks choreographed like a dance. But then the camera's also that it's one shot. So the camera's yeah. almost like dancing around them as well. It's it's a really spectacular showcase of like cinematography working beautifully with choreography. I think screwballs are always so perfectly blocked as well. I think because like the movement is almost part of it, as you say. Like like the scene, like the scene when you know how Judy's character keeps calling him Steve and stuff, and he can't. You know, it's that horrible thing. Like he's trying to get a word and and he just can't get out of it because she keeps yeah. going like, why why didn't you tell her about Steve and stuff? And it's just this horrible. <laughs> you almost like sort of feel for him in a way. You're like, oh, you're like on his behalf. You're like, oh, this is terrible because you know if you're in that situation, you'd be like, I can't get out. And the way it blocks it as well, like the movement at the table. They're all mm-hmm. sitting around. It's just like, you know, he tries to get up and then she, they shift around the table and she changes the names and everything. And, yeah. And they all love her. As, and then he ends up just like, oh, I gives up and goes along with her. <laughs> I know. Best yeah. not saying anything. <laughs> I also like the bit where they're in the shop and um, she just puts the radio through. Yeah. Like, it's such a random item of choice to be like, I think I'll have the radio. Yes. I know, why does she need a radio? I know, it's so (laughs) random. It's such a random item. I don't know if it's because it's just a high-ticket item or... I I actually think, though, and this is where she's a really interesting character, I don't think she wants a radio. I don't think she wants anything. She just has picked the most silliest or most expensive item in the drugstore just to see his reaction. Absolutely. Because even when um, they put the price through and she's like, I don't want the radio... And uh, she's like, come on, come on, honey, get me the radio. And even the guy behind the counter is like, just buy the radio. Like, <laughs> I know, he's on. like, come on, man, stop it. Just buy the radio. Know, so it's on sale. Stop messing about. And, yeah. But um, that's where the, the fast-paced dialogue works really well because 
he's like, oh, I don't want a radio. And he's like, I know you don't, but your wife wants a radio. And he's like, I don't have a wife. And then he's like, well, who's that? And he's like, I don't know. And it's, <laughs> yeah. it's that so, so and, and it continues in the court scene at the end. Like, like the judge, when he just gets it, my wife. Well, not my wife, but she says she's my wife. And he's yeah. like, my, my fiance. And he's like, well, hold on, who's your wife? And he's like, no, no she's not my wife, but she, <laughs> she's... Yeah. yeah. He says to the judge, does that make sense? And he's like, no, but it's consistent. And he's like, talking yeah. back to the start. And he's like, please don't. <laughs> he's like, let's just let's just skip over this bit. <laughs> it's so clever and so witty, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think as well, like, it's not so much that she's like head over heels in love with him as well, yeah. which is like important. It's mm-hmm. more of a, she's a really time. interested. She's really intrigued by him. She finds his yeah. awkwardness really quite compelling and is like also in a way of... He's not been himself. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know more. I think what adds to the chemistry as well is Barbara Streisand and Ryan O'Neill, I think were rumoured to have like been seeing each other, but I think it was before the film as well. Oh, so like right. that probably added to that um, on-screen chemistry. presence as well. Yeah, the chemistry. But like, it is really interesting. And, and I never realised it because a script I worked on about a year ago had a sort of similar thing where it's like a, a woman's like, you know, sort of toying with this sort of awkward guy. And in my head now, I'm like, I've just realised in this moment, I'm like, I was really must have been really inspired by what's up, Doc, and not realised that not picked up on it at the time. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you want to go with, start with your second point, then, Gary? Yeah, it was just I was looking at like what's the what's the film trying to say uh, with it? Obviously, as a screwball comedy, but what what's it trying to say at the end of it? And I think there's a part in the film where Judy actually asks Howard, "What is the point?" Judy seeing uh, Howard with Eunice. And seeing how controlling she was, and thought to herself, "I'm going to steal him away and just show him a good time." And at the start, Howard can't really think for himself, and by the end, he is taking control of the situations and his life. Like for instance, it's him that speaks up at the, the the court hearing. I think sometimes it takes something so outrageous and so extraordinary to show you that you might be on the wrong path, or the life you're living isn't the life that you want to live. And there's another point in it where. Judy asks Howard, I think it's near the end, he says, what's, she asks him what's wrong, and he just says, the future. And I think that's basically maybe what it's, it's also trying to say, it's saying it through this screwball comedy, like, like what, what is important in life, and if you look at um, what's in the bags, like, his is, like, his career is in his bag, and in this wee old woman's bag is the jewellery, that's all she cares about in life, is, like, mm. jewellery and expensive items. You've got the government secrets, which was added like during one of the last drafts of the script but that was what was going on in the world was like government secrets getting leaked <laughs> and then yeah. um and then in judy's bag it's just it's just clothes it's like that's all she needs to have a good time it's mm-hmm. like closing her back basically and i think that's even the bags themselves are saying something about like the world at that time and then the story is like with those two characters it's like are you sure you're living the life to your full potential? I would, I would agree with that. That's very, that's very deep analysis. Actually, I, I don't think I've ever been able to. Because I was thinking about it before this. I was like, what, the, what is this film saying? Um, because some, when I was reading about the film before this, a lot of the reviewers sort of suggested like maybe what's up, Doc isn't doesn't have a big message, and that's okay because a lot of you know most films do, especially for, especially in New Hollywood. But and I think, you know, it, it happened after counterculture because it's 1972, but it probably still is in that time where, you know, as you say, it's all about like people are still sort of learning that they can just have a good time. So I think that's actually really, really good analysis of it, Gary. Really like that. If you look at Eunice as well, 
she's probably I mean the character and is very funny and the actor that plays her is very Mad- good Mad- Mad- well. Madeline Can. Madeline Can, yeah. yeah. She's probably the one that people like would sigh at as a character yeah. because she is so uptight, you know, and she's the only person not having a good time, so she then ends up becoming the unlikable character. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. as well, like both of them don't seem they're not fulfilling each other's needs they're not no. making each other happy they're just together because that's the right thing to do or what would be perceived yeah there's a lot of resentment there as well yeah it feels like they're both on completely different pages but they don't ever say it yeah well look at the the scene where they're under the table and the real Eunice uh, comes in and yeah. he has to make that choice are you going to go on this different path or not and he has to make it like right there on the spot yeah yeah, definitely. I think the the film is kind of kind to Eunice in the sense, like she is arguably unlikable, um, you could say. But like by the end, they kind of give her like a nice end as well because she yeah, gets together with Doctor Frederick, and she's actually quite kind to, to, to you know to Hugh, considering that he's almost not left her, but you know you could argue being unfaithful and stuff because she still wants him to kind of get the grant, and she's still kind of rooting for him, and mm-hmm. like she kind of sees him off and stuff. So like I kind of like that they didn't just make her out to this yeah. horrible character and then totally not care about her. There was clearly fought behind her. <laughs> yeah, living um, with like resentment and everything for the rest yeah, of her life. Yeah, definitely. It's... And I, I just, I was going to mention this in a later point, but Madeline Kahn is, is just a, is such an underrated so actor. She is, Really yeah. funny. Like I've, um, my dad is a huge Mel Brooks fan. So, I mean, I've seen like Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein, um, I'm trying to think of the other ones that she's in. <laughs> she's doing quite a lot, actually. But, yeah, she always is just so strong and her performance is always, like, so memorable and she's just so clever and just uh, actually fantastic. And although, like, this is not, like, a what would be considered yeah. maybe as, like, a flattering role as what, like, maybe Barbara Streisand has, I guess, Um I don't think that's a very nice thing to say, but no, I, I get you're you're absolutely right. You get what though. I mean? Like, like she's the, she's she the still shines. She, she still does. shines. She does. She really, yeah, she really does. She mm-hmm. makes that role her own, and yeah, it's not yeah. as if she's just playing the part and getting her wage. She actually goes to town with that part. Yeah, yeah. No, she really does hold her own in that film. Really, like great performance from her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, rather than playing just the nagging character, she's doing it with like a bit of class, and mm-hmm. she makes a nagging character hilarious to watch on screen yeah. and you can't ask for any more than that for yeah. an actor you can like tell I, they're all having fun yeah either. I, I don't watch it thinking I really don't like you I, I watch it going these two people are just not suited and that's just it yeah there's like some maybe roles or films out there that would probably paint that as like oh she's just like really annoying and blah, blah, blah. Mm. but she's not she's um you watch it going I really like both these these both these characters are totally like reasonable and Everything they're doing is validated. They just don't work together and that's it. Yeah. I'll tell you why she was with them. Howard Bannister's bod. Absolutely. Okay, Gary. Is that your third point? (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, that that scene where Judy's in the bath and like Mm -hmm. he ends up just in his his underwear. Um that that was definitely a shot for the for the ladies at the time. Jamie, what would your second point be? Okay, so my second point, um, which is going to be my first point, but obviously we just went with the humour thing earlier for to tie it in. But um, <laughs> it's just Barbara Streisand, like you know, obviously like the star 
of the film. Uh, and I and I love Barbara. I think she's she's such a fascinating like she's she's a very unique character in in Hollywood and you know not just as a singer but also as an actor. Like she she is a star and like she's probably the most relevant of everyone in the film today. Um, because that's what's actually really interesting about this film because like Ryan O'Neill is quite a well regarded actor, but he, his career didn't sort of fail. But you know he sort of he's not really remembered a lot by our generation. Neither is Madeleine Kahn particularly, and even Peter Banadovich. I think I can get his second name wrong again. Terrible. Um, but like you know, he directed Paper Moon, did Love, um, the Last Picture Show. You know this film, but he's not actually done a lot of you know other. Well, after the sort of seventies, he doesn't. He's not really done a lot of great films. Um, he's probably best known for playing Doctor Melfi's uh, psychiatrist in Sopranos, which mm. is you know that's probably what he's most known by like the sort of our generation for for doing. Um, whereas Barbara's like you know she's still a star, so yeah, to, to make star. it yeah to make it more relevant to the film though, um, Barbara's just terrific. Like you know she just has that like just glow about her. Like from the first scene when she just you know is walking across the street and all the taxis are stopping and she just doesn't care. <laughs> I mean that just sums up Barbara as well. Um, and you can just tell she's having such a great time like making the film. Although she you know she's a bit not arguably a little bit snooty about it now because you know mm -hmm. she. You know she's a star, and I think that's probably if you know if Barbara wanted to promote this film and talk about it more now, like more people would watch it because of how big she is. Like you know, it's not on streaming services. I think as we mentioned at the start and things, um, and I think Barbara, like when she was filming it, wasn't really sure where where the film would go and if it was going to be a success. But you could tell her and the director had a very good relationship, and like you know, even the scene where she like gets to sing at the piano. And like they did that live to make it more natural, and she's just obviously just yeah terrific. She's you know, and she sings. And apparently, when they were filming it, the director said to her like, "Um, could you redo this or something?" And she went, "Are you telling me how to fucking sing?" <laughs> like oh sing. my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> because you know that's her like she knows you know, what she thing. wants. <laughs> but she's just absolutely terrific in this film. Yeah. Um, and you know she's just wow. That's also one of my points as well. Um, I've just written like Barbara. Um, because it's the first thing that we kind of encounter. Like the minute you put the film on, the opening credits, she's singing all the way through. So immediately you're like, okay, I'm ready. And yeah, I read that about her click coming off the piano. So it did sound like she was actually singing and then coming off the piano. Um, but yeah, I really loved her character. She is just so beautiful, like on camera, like her performance is beautiful. It's really mesmerizing, I feel. And I just love that. Judy is so like carefree like she's not forgiving she just does what she does she's got a really great like lust for life yeah like even when she shows up at the hotel like she's proper chance in her arm to like get a yeah. room and everything and the guy's like no not today um yeah it's really enjoyable to she watch ha she has like the eyes like in the scene yeah. you know when her when her and Ryan O'Neill are like you know, together, it's just like she, Barbara just has that like glisten in her eyes almost, mm -hmm. where, like because she, you know, she just is a star. But like, I think the cat, I think it's her first comedy role as well. I think it's one of Barbara's first big comedy roles, right. and they sort of brought her on board and sort of didn't write the film around her, but they definitely there was a lot of changes went into the script because she mm -hmm. was going to be in it and stuff. And I think she was very much involved in that as well. Yeah, I liked how she was kind of like leading quite a lot of the things as well, like um, like so when they're like. Um, escaping, for instance, she's like, we'll go in here, we'll go in here, we'll go in there. <laughs> um, and also that moment where, um, oh, I'm trying to think of it. Yeah, where they're in the shop and he's looking for the aspirin. I love that where she was, he was like taking something away and her face was there like, you okay? And like taking it <laughs> away and then putting something and she's like, 
still here. <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was really clever and um, I mean, I'd I'd be okay with taking something out of the way and having Barbara stand in there. I'd be all right with that. I'd be quite ha- be quite good, like grocery shop, wouldn't it? Just like, oh, it's Barbara Streisand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think as well that her performance is just simply natural. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like she's acting, and I think you could see that for quite a lot of the actors, considering the amount of dialogue that's in this film and the amount that they had to learn and then learn how to act out in such a fast paced yeah. nothing seems like rigid definitely she just brings such energy to the performance like i think she always has done that in um in all her films like you know i love funny girl as well i haven't seen a lot of barbara's films actually which i really need to see i really want to see like uh, is it, i think it's you is it, i can't even pronounce the name is it yendel or something Holy. yentl yentl that's it yeah I w- and i want to see the way we wear as well but like I just I think this I think this is one of my favourite Barbara Streisand performances because it's so different to her usual stuff as well. I love seeing Barbara having a laugh and and being funny because she's very funny and she never really did a lot of comedy. I mean, she did a comedy with um, Seth Rogen in like 2011, <laughs> which I've not seen, but it was absolute trash. And it was like, what are you doing? And she's obviously in like Meet the Fockers and stuff. She's really funny yeah. in that. Oh, I love her in that. Like Glee, for instance, as well. Like it's interesting because. Um, you know, you spoke about like Ryan O'Neill and not a lot of people like maybe knowing him or Madeline Kahn, but like everyone knows Barbara and I know like she's a big star and stuff, but like people like our generation pay homage to her. Like they think she's amazing and wonderful and like watching that programme Glee for instance, there's so many like Barbara references and that the main character of Glee, for instance, it compares herself to Barbara. Like she is like such a um, an icon and hero for everyone. I think as well it says how much of a professional she actually is. Yeah. Because, uh, as we've already said, that she didn't have faith in this project at, at first, but still, like, that doesn't come across on screen. Like, she's given mm-hmm. it her all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. She's she's, And I think her and, her and Peter are, remain good friends. Like, I think they're very fond of each other. Um, it's a shame she, she didn't do more comedies because uh, in that era because and it, I think I don't know if you b- both agree but I think comedy in general especially by the Academy and stuff and the Oscars and things is looked down upon still to this day and I think you know th- I think this is a gr- example of a very smart brilliant comedy film uh, which I think if this wasn't a comedy it would be you know even more iconic than it is to the people that have seen it I think jo- genre specific films in general aren't looked very well by the Oscars, so like mm-hmm. horror as well, or like sci-fi comedy, when when it's maybe like a drama with a bit of comedy, or like you mm-hmm. know a drama with a bit of thriller. There's a mix. They lean to that more. It's like Silence of the Lambs is like the perfect example of that. Yeah, like Bro, it's, yeah. it is a horror, but because it's got that psychological drama thriller going through it, it's it's yeah one one an award. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, absolutely, yeah. Because What's Up Doc was the third highest grossing film the year it came out after The Godfather, and I can't remember the second one, but it was so it was very popular still. Mm-hmm. But you know, it. I just think is in general, yeah, comedies. I think it's. I think especially in the UK, I mean, we have always had like great comedies here, but like for whatever reason, they aren't always taken as seriously as dramas. Yeah, yeah, we all want to watch documentaries on. <laughs> Or the crown or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so my second point, I suppose, is an agreement uh, about Barbara. Gary, what's your third point? Okay, so if you thought my second point was deep, wait till you hear this. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm excited. Okay, so everyone in this film is clearly insane, right? 
<laughs> I mean, at the, at the end... Right, Gary, don't tiptoe about it. Just say it how it is, right? Yeah. They're all, they're all barking mad, to be honest. And, I mean, at the end, you've got the Looney Tunes playing. And I know yeah. that's because it's called What's Up, Doc, but it could be that we are all as wacky as these Looney Tunes. But let's go a little bit deeper, right? And I actually think you can read this film and ask yourself, is Judy real? Is the character really there? Right? Or is it the type of woman Bannister wants to be with? Or is it his subconscious, like, of the type of person he wants to be, like, fun and outgoing and maybe even, like, dangerous? Here's why I think it stick with me, right? He bangs his head... Uh, in the taxi then she randomly appears in the drugstore when he's looking for pills for his head she <laughs> arrives she arrives as his partner at the most important dinner of his life she knows everything about rocks <laughs> she keeps calling him Steve I mean maybe that's the name that he wanted and he was given Harold <laughs> she shows up in uh, in the bath in his hotel room I mean, that's like kind of a dream situation, I guess, isn't it? And that's happening to him whilst his fiancée, Eunice, is staying in another room. Like, she won't even stay in the same room as him. Then, like, towards the end, she's under a sheet on a grand piano. <laughs> that's a bit dreamlike. And then at the end, um, she vanishes in the airport. See, when like, he's talking to like everyone, and they start walking away, then he turns around and she's just gone again. And then he's alone on the plane, and he's a little sad, and he's thinking about her. And then she appears behind him. Ye- I don't know, am I talking a lot of rubbish here, yeah? <laughs> I mean, I'm, enjoy- I'm enjoying it. No, so, I'm, I'm interested. You can't quite place Judy in a box, right? You can't really, like, you can't say what type of woman she is or what type of person she is. And what's wrong with uh, Howard is you can place him in a box by looking at him, and he's getting boxed in. He's getting told by, um, like, Eunice what to do and how to dress, it's all about his career. She also has a part where, it's at the end, um, she says, um, it's either she says to him or he says to her, did you know I loved you? And the response is yes. And to me, that's him finally learning to love himself. That's what I think. I think that's all in his head. Judy isn't real and it's what he wants in life. <laughs> oh my gosh. What about really- everyone else that, that acknowledges Judy? Are they? Or are, is he just picturing them acknowledging them? I what, mean, about even... the, what about the fourth case? Is that real? Or is it? Well, is it? Or should it just be that's what he should have just been travelling with? Is just his clothes? He'd have been happy with just the clothes in his back. His women's clothes. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe Howard is like, you know, wants to be a drag queen. It's a really, like, deep way to look at it. But if you take it with what we were talking about earlier about the film basically being about are you living your best life? And then this, you can look at it as an imaginary friend as helping him live his best life or a, attempting to. Yeah, it's a bit like spoilers if you've not seen Fight Club, like that idea of like the alter ego then, is that what you mean? Yeah, like, I guess, I guess in a way it is. So basically it's like the comedy version of Fight Club, is that what we've just said? <laughs> this, so is that how it. you would pitch it? Yeah, that, I that, think that. we should yeah. go on and just change the synopsis to... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is that I is in, that is incre- I think that's definitely the first time anyone's read that film like that, guys. So I think that's an ex- it's a choose film exclusive there. That is maybe, but I just I don't know. First. <laughs> I was watching on like Judy was so strange throughout this full film. Like she kept calling him Steve, and that's never even answered why Steve. Um, 
why she decided to pick him out of everyone. Obviously, you can like jump to conclusions of why. And I was just like, this is so bizarre. This film is so bizarre. Then I was like, is she even there? I think, though, it's, it's an interesting thought. And I don't feel... I don't think... Um... You don't think I'm right. <laughs> I don't think you're right. Um, <laughs> but I don't think you're wrong in what, what you're saying of that Howard wants that spontaneity, freedom, you know, wanting to love himself, like a bit of self-love here and be kinder to himself. Again, just going back to that point of him and Eunice just not gelling, like there's some resentment there and they could they could get married and be miserable for the rest of their lives. Would she be miserable with that body, though? With Howard's body? <laughs> <laughs> I think you're, like, revealing a, a deep love for Ryan O'Neill as well. I know. They're not just I mean, objects, he's a good-looking man. Scary. He is a good-looking man. <laughs> those, those glasses as well, those spectacles. <laughs> yeah. I actually read a really harsh review. I think it was maybe Roger Eberg from the time. Um, and he was talking about how, like, Ryan O'Neill doesn't manage to, to do the sort of... Um, Cary Grant thing. He just he's like talks about how he almost fails to do it, and I'm like, that's really harsh. I think Ryan O'Neill is a you know charismatic mm-hmm. fellow. Mm. Yeah, no, I thought his presence on screen was was great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially was. in his underwear, Gary. Especially <laughs> his underwear. No, <laughs> uh, Gary, I I really like that reading of it. Although I don't really yeah. you know don't don't prescribe to that quite as deep reading, but I think your second point is, was fantastic, and it's really and it's actually you know you increase my appreciation of the film I really I've never thought of the meaning like that so I really like mm-hmm. that good thanks <laughs> I guess <laughs> <laughs> um Jamie what is your third and final point so before I make my third and final point I, f- I feel like I better do this because I know he's going to be listening and I know he's going to be like waiting for his shout. so I just want to quickly give my friend Sean Brannan a big shout because he introduced me to this film and he and I he loves Barbara Streisand and you know he's told me so much about her and and this, and he got me into this film, and we got the chance to go and see Barbara together and stuff. So, just quickly wanted to acknowledge that because I don't want to come on and take credit and be like, "Oh, I, I discovered this film and all that." But my my last, I'd like point... to take a moment to thank. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, my last point is just I think what I love about this film is I think it's a great homage to screwball, the screwball genre. I love screwballs. I love um, I love romantic comedies as well. Um, and I, but I love screwballs because it kind of combines that. Um, so I think this film does a great job of modernising the genre, which is interesting as well because there hasn't been a lot of great screwballs films really since the 70s. I can't think of any other really very, very great examples of a screwball since, you know, What's Up Doc, um, to be honest. And this does a really good job of sort of harping back to that classic Hollywood era, you know, of, and it sort of modernises it because this is a new Hollywood film. So it manages to be a new Hollywood film while also being like very much doing a good job of sort of, you know, bringing back, like, uh, the memories of, like, to, you know, His Girl Friday or, you know, um, bring is it Bringing Up Baby? Is that the name of it? Mm-hmm. Have I got the name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, um, It Happened One Night and, and all those films. Even Casablanca is obviously referencing this with the whole song. And I love that era of Hollywood. I love those classic films. So I love the way that this film, it's so well written. Like, I think one of the screenwriters, and I've totally forgotten his name, but he wrote The Graduate as well. Uh, he's a very underrated screenwriter. I, I totally blanked his name, which I feel really bad for. Um, but like, I think it has, you know, it has sort of shades of the graduate in it as well in the terms of the farce and things. And I just think it does such a good job of of sort of being a screwball comedy and taking that genre and just doing it great justice. So mm. see, um, it happened one night. Um, there's a character in that called Doc, isn't there? Yeah, I think there is. Yeah, and is he not an imaginary character? 
I think you might be <laughs> getting your points. And there's ca- there's carrots in that as well, isn't there? Yep. So mm-hmm. <gasps> just saying, just saying. No, but uh, on on your point there, Jamie, I think it does kind of beg the question as well as will like screwball comedy come back around again? Will mm-hmm. we see more of that, but modernized? Yeah. And how much does like comedy repeat itself? And is that a good thing, or should we like be looking for like? new types of comedy i think comedy always adapts of the times but i think like yeah. you could argue what's up adapts the comedy of that era and sort of makes it modern and, and there, there so i think it's definitely possible to to make a film now like i think um uh what, what knives out is a great example of a film that takes the detective genre and, and makes it into sort of comedy and does something new with it almost i really enjoyed that recently um mm-hmm. i saw a film called game night recently as well which wasn't as good as knives out but it was still quite a refreshing comedy i thought um i'm trying to think of I know, um, I think, is it Mistress America, is it called? Which was one of um, Noah Baumwatch's films. I love Noah Baumwatch. He's a big fan of screwball comedies. And, like, Francis mm-hmm. Ha sort of plays on a few of those tropes as well. Um, it doesn't quite land quite, but um, Francis Ha's terrific. It's not really a screwball, but Mistress America sort of um, tries to be a screwball. It doesn't quite hit it, almost. Yeah, yeah. So it is one of those genres that's really hard to get right, I think. It is quite good with, like, this type of physical uh, comedy as well, because comedy over the years has become quite uh, offensive shall we say like looking back at even some British comedy TV shows or even looking at stuff like American Pie just wouldn't be made now in the same way but comedy like this doesn't really age which is one thing that makes it fantastic and maybe yeah. that is at least just one reason to keep that type of comedy going absolutely mm-hmm. yeah no it's just really interesting and I think I touched on it earlier like this film doesn't really have to use much of a gallery for gallery is that a word have I said that word probably hope so <laughs> you know it's very <laughs> it's very much like it's kind of almost quite harmless fun if that makes mm-hmm. sense which is I never thought about that as like is that as well like a lot of comedy today is quite offensive you could argue or controversial prov- provocative is maybe the word provocative yeah, yeah. I, I really want them to just put it on netflix because people like, if this was on netflix it'd be a great film to watch on a friday night and just have a laugh with mm-hmm. yeah well that's what, exactly what i did actually was friday night um i sat down to watch it yeah i did yeah. as well a <laughs> <laughs> yeah. nice friday night choice well my final point um i suppose We've already kind of discussed like the humor and screwball and everything. Um, is specifically the hallway, uh, scene, with like the the food arriving. Barbara's come out. She she goes to get the food. Someone opens the door. She's like, oh hello. Uh, yeah, it's just really well choreographed, and I really like. It's got like a lot of um, like Scooby Doo kind of feel, like the whole Looney Tunes mm-hmm. thing of like. Yeah people coming in and out of the rooms and you're not too sure who's going to come out the room next. Uh, but it also made me think of, and I guess this is like with the decor and thing, but I recently watched um, Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah, really good. That kind of shot of in the hallway in, pati- in particular just made me think of that as well because it was quite a long, you could see everything. But yeah, I really liked it. What that scene that you're talking about and that Scooby-Doo feel, just to speak again about how comedy steals from stuff in the past or is inspired mm-hmm. I should say from stuff in the past one of my favourite comedies is Modern Family and there is a whole episode where they go to like this luxury spa hotel and you've got that where like one person's coming in one yeah. door and, and it's like how they're all connected like that and that could have been heavily influenced by something as simple as this and they've yeah. took one funny segment from a film and then reinvented it for a full episode 
And absolutely, I think was Faulty Towers came out a couple of years afterwards. At What's Up Dog, didn't it? That was like mm-hmm. mid seventies, and you know that it does lots of similar things in that. Not to say that it was influenced by that film, but like there's a lot of you know similar type of comedy in it. Like the sort of you know character opens a door, another character has to close a door. Yeah. Like you know people, there's a mix up, like etc. etc. Like well, when when I was watching this, um, my partner Karen actually said to me. Is there not an episode on Forty Towers where he's trying to get in one of the rooms, but <laughs> uh, because he thinks that the man has got a girl and he's not paid to have two people in the room, but he like climbs up <laughs> yeah, the ladders yeah, yeah. and stuff and he tries to look in but gets the wrong room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's like a lot of um, misunderstanding, uh, you know, play on like comedy timing, and yeah, I could just imagine them like trying to choreograph it and rehearse that scene so that it worked. <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> just right. Every time I, re- you know, it was great rewatching. I think that was the fourth time I'd seen it. You pick up on new things. Like I think there's a scene when the fire, is it when the fire brigade come in and they get the wrong room or something? Yeah. yeah. There's little <laughs> things that I never noticed at the first time. I need like you know even like the scene where it's like they go over the cement. That's been done in so many films now. But like they go over the cement, the guy sighs, then they go over the cement again, and you know it happens yeah. loads. So perfect. Well, does anyone have any other notes? Another thing that I did like was that they had already wrote a few drafts of the script before they found the city, which was obviously um, San Francisco. Yeah. And they then adapted the script to match the city. And I think that's something, that I, like as a screenwriter, I think is really good. The script has a tool to make the film, and it's not a finished work of art in itself. And if you find cool locations, you yeah. might have to adapt to like add production value or... Just to make the story better. Definitely. I was just like, just another really fun fact because you mentioned San Francisco, and this is one of my favourite facts of it um, was that they didn't get permission because I love reading the IMDb trivia facts. They didn't get permission to film in San Francisco, like the scene outside. And now the yeah, well, just like the scenes, they think they damaged the steps, like when they were filming and stuff. And like so, the, so the, now the rule in San Francisco is you have to have a permit to do like any sort of scenes outside there, oh, and that's because no. of, that's because of this film. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, it was also the first film to credit the stunt drivers, um, which which is incredible Aww, as well. Cool. Yeah, which mm-hmm. is crazy that it took to 1972 to do that, but yeah. Yeah. The only thing negative I've got is I didn't like the scene um, with the judge and the bailiff, just the two of them. Um, mm. And I think it was because... I don't know, I just feel like it wasn't needed and we didn't really know those characters as much as we did know everyone else so it was kind of like, it was weird to introduce new characters at that point and try and just give them a scene by themselves but I think I was too engrossed in everything else and everyone else that by that point because we've got so many characters in this so by that point I was like Mm -hmm. I don't care about these people so I'm not finding them amusing. Liam Dunn who plays the judge, um, I recognised him from Blazing Saddles where he plays yeah. like a similar kind of like minister role. Yeah, I I think Liam Dunn as well. I think he was originally like involved in being a casting director for this film and then they just sort of brought him in to act yeah. as well. Yeah. I really like that. But I actually, I didn't mind that scene with it. I've kind of thought they'd been like all this fast stuff. It was giving us a breath well before like the sort of finale. And I, because I found that scene quite funny between them. Because mm-hmm. like I just love the judge. He's like one of my favorite characters in it. So maybe that's why I like that scene. Just because mm-hmm. I really like the judge. But I mean, it's a fair enough point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I guess like a, a point of me. We've already kind of like mentioned it. Is just that some of the um, there's a couple of jokes that are just maybe a bit 
dated, maybe at poor taste. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. like, well, poor taste in general, not just now, but yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but I know that is like obviously the, like, the type of humor um, of it. But I suppose like those kind of jokes and the, the one with the bath that you said as well. Um, I mean, it's funny because I still chuckled at that one with the bath um, because yeah. I mean, it still is a, a funny line, and it does does make you think. I didn't. It's like because you know, as society, we're we're all you know being more aware and what mm-hmm. we're um what we're saying and what we've got included in scripts and things. So, I suppose um that would be my only kind of criticism, yeah. really, of the film. Yeah, I just I just couldn't think of anything to like criticize the film on, and I think that's nice. That's a I like thing. I like it when you have those films that you just go, you know, I just love this. And that's like, and that's yeah. my personal thoughts on it. But it's like, you know, it's nice to have those films. Has anyone's final ratings changed at all? I'm going to stick. I'm, I'm sticking. It's like a game of poker. Stick. stick a twist. <laughs> 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 yeah. Well, I can't really change my aim because, you know, I've set the bar so high. That I, I mean, I'm not gonna, <laughs> I mean, I know Sarah said in the Paris Caribbean episode, she, I think she upped her to 11. I'm just going to keep it out of 10. I'll, I'll be nice. So keep it out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, and uh, I feel happy to to stick at mine as well. Um, Well, we're now going to take a little break and be back with a quiz, our fun fact of the day, and our short film recommendations. Come in, it's broken. I mean, it's open. Good morning. No, I don't think so. I'm Mr. Kaltenborn, the manager of what's left of the hotel. I'm awfully sorry about this whole mess here. Usually this doesn't happen. Mr. Bannister, I have a message for you from the staff of the hotel. Really? What is it? Goodbye. That's the entire message? We would appreciate it if you would check out. When? Yesterday. That soon? I don't suppose you have another room you could let me use just for... No. Oh, well. These are my igneous tambular rocks. Yes, of course they are. Uh, where were you uh, thinking of going now? Well, my fiance, Miss Sleep, is still burning, and Miss Burns is still sleeping. I thought maybe I would just sit in the lobby and wait. Mm-hmm. No. I'm. Well, I'm. I'm awfully sorry about the room. Oh, that's all right. We have lots of others. And we are back. Gary and I will ask Jamie five questions each based on the film. Okay, so I will ask my first question, which is, what Looney Tunes character says, what's up, Doc? It's like the main one, the rabbit. I've totally forgotten his name, but I don't know. Bugs Bunny, yeah, that's the one. Correct. What number is the table they end up talking under? Table number four. It's seven. (laughs) What does Judy call Howard? It's Steve. When was the film released? 1972. Yes. 72. What is Howard looking for in the shop? He is looking for some aspirin. Right. Um, Other than Peter Bogdanovich, how many other screenplay credits are there? There's three screenplay credits, I believe. Yes. What number is the hotel room that they order the food to? Oh, God. 
It's like seven six something. Seven six seven or something. <laughs> I don't know. One seven one seven? Uh, I, there was a seven in it. I, I got one of the numbers right. <laughs> what city is the film set in? San Francisco. Yes. What colour are the overnight bags? They're like red checked colour, right? They're like a red... I Well, I have down red plaid. Okay, that's a point. <laughs> <laughs> what make of car do Judy and Howard steal? It's a beetle. Yes. I got two Eight. wrong, yeah. Eight I'll take that, I'll take that. Thank you. Uh, right, okay. Um, so now we are going to share our fun facts of the day. Gary, give us your fact. Okay, so my fact is that supposedly cows have different moo accents according to the region <laughs> they live in. No, they don't. Supposedly, I've seen it on a fact website, so I'm, t- <laughs> I'm taking it and I'm going with it. Oh my goodness. Amazing. Is that I mean, the same website that you got the theory that <laughs> this is all a dream and power <laughs> oh. I'm still standing by it. so my fun fact is uh, we can sneeze faster than a cheetah can run wow it's not very fun it's quite disgusting but yeah (laughs) i've heard that fact before recently Hmm. have you yes that's so weird i thought it might have been you (laughs) (laughs) maybe it's deja vu jamie what's your fun fact uh, my fun fact is, and I asked my I asked my flatmate Balfour who loves animal facts, and he told me this one, and it's uh, that elephants can hear from through their feet because they can pick up sounds from the vibrations, uh, and also they can that's how they detect like tsunamis and stuff. So usually, if elephants leave an area, it's because a natural disaster is coming. They that's are nice. so intelligent, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. I love I really like really like that fact. Yeah, we've had yeah. quite a few animal facts so far. Yeah, there's yeah. been there's been two about cheetahs. Yeah. Well, all three of our facts are animal facts, technically. I know. Kind of. Oh yeah, true. Yeah, true. That's great. Right. So, what kind of um, what kind of kawama? Moo. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm going to go with the Hewitt. <laughs> wow, that sounds quite offensive. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, so to round off the show, we are now going to recommend a short film that we've recently watched. Um, Gary, what is your short film recommendation? So mine is a short film called Grandpa, and it's got no dialogue in it. It's almost like a silent film, and it's about a young girl who remembers the small, intimate moments that she spent with her grandfather. So it's just a really nice, wee, sweet one. Um, and oh, that sounds great. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. something heartwarming. Um, yeah. My short film recommendation, which you can watch on YouTube, is called Rebooted. Um, and again, that is a silent short film as well. And it's about <laughs> a skeleton actor <laughs> going nice. for auditions. Um, and it kind of starts off with like the skeleton and their first ever film. Yeah, it's really clever, really funny, and again, I just really liked that there wasn't one word said. No, that sounds good. Did you say there, sorry, is it animated? Um, Only the skeleton is. That's cool. Oh, cool. 
obviously. <laughs> you just got this real skeleton kicking about. <laughs> I definitely check both these out. I love this uh, feature of the podcast. I think it's a great idea that you do this. It's fantastic. Short films are, are great, and I don't think enough people appreciate them. No, definitely. And what's your short film recommendation, Jamie? So the, I, I thought a lot about this before coming on, and I just wanted to 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 this because I think it's, it's my favourite short film. I think it's fantastic. It's a great Scottish short film, and it came out in 1998. And my uh, screenwriting tutor for a while, Colin McLaren, who's a fantastic screenwriter, he wrote the screenplay for it. And it's called Home, and it's and it's fantastic. You can find it if you just go into Google. I think it's the second or third one that comes up. There's like a link to watch it, um, and it's fantastic. It's about a guy. It's set in Scotland and it's like about a guy who works for the council, a council worker going or doing the, it's about his day doing the rounds and it's all the weird stuff he encounters and it's it's very moving. It's a really good, really good little film. Yeah, that does sound good. It yeah. sounds like something like, you know, like you'd maybe find in like a Ken Loach film or something. Mm. It has that sort of social realism thing, but it sort of adds comedy to it in a really, right. really interesting way. Uh, and Colin's a fantastic student. It was a, a joy to get to work with someone like him. Uh, he did that Barney Thompson film that came out a few years ago. He wrote the screenplay for that with uh, Robert Carlyle. Oh, yeah. Really good oh, screenwriter. Oh, that was a good film. I like yeah. that. Yeah. So I just wanted to give him a shout out there. There you go. There you go, Colin. You're not going to be listening to this, but there you go. <laughs> oh, you never know. You never know. Yeah. Um. Perfect. All good, all good suggestions, recommendations. Wonderful. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for joining us and bringing with you What's Up, Doc. It's been really nice chatting about it. Maybe some deeper points than what we were expecting. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but um, no, it's been lovely. No, I've loved it. Can I just quickly say before we all go, can I just say that I just wanted to mention, like, it's been great watching Choose Film Grow because I know you guys, I think you guys started, I think you guys released the podcast two weeks before I started my podcast. And I don't, I never met Guy before today, but it's just been really nice to see you guys grow. And like, and I feel like there's like a really nice podcasting community in Scotland at the moment. And, and it, I just wanted to say that, like a big shout out to you guys, like keep it up and stuff. It's great to see. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you. We love your podcast too. <laughs> big fan of your podcast as well so it's great just to chat creatively isn't it it's just absolutely well jamie can you let our listeners know where they can find you on social media and keep up to date with you and the podcast as well yeah so you can find my podcast on all podcasting platforms you can find us on instagram at just get a real job um you can find me on instagram i think it's just at jamie mckinley uh and you can also find the podcast on facebook and twitter and and also find me there at jam mac too on twitter and stuff so yeah please listen it's very it's very good fun yeah really inspiring as well i'm rebecca riddle you can follow me on instagram at riddle rebecca and twitter at riddle r and i'm still gary and you can still follow (laughs) me at g pro on instagram and on twitter See, when you say still Gary, it totally throws me and makes me chuckle so much. I can never get through the rest of it. It's such a weird thing to say. (laughs) And if you love this episode and what you're hearing, please like, subscribe and share. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please remember to rate and review the podcast. You can also leave your comments and let us know your thoughts on the films at choosefilmpodcast at hotmail.com. And you can follow the podcast on Twitter at filmchoose and on Instagram at choosefilmpodcast. You've been listening to Choose Film Podcast and join us next week for our bonus episode. Thanks. Bye. Bye.